Welcome to the Canon Care Podcast, brought to you by M3. I'm Sarah Kukula, Director of Senior Living and Social Services at M3. And I'm Marlia Coiler-Grayhack, Risk Manager at M3. Each episode of the Candid Care Podcast promises to challenge your current thinking about the long-term care industry and introduce concepts to improve your organization and advance the field. From executive risks to key strategies, we'll approach each topic from multiple angles and invite leaders with unique perspectives to join in the conversation. Please be advised this podcast and the recommendations throughout are not intended as legal advice and should not be used as or relied upon as legal advice. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Candy Care Podcast. We have a special guest with us, attorney Tom O'Day from Hush Blackwell. Welcome, Tom, and thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Tom, can you just give us a brief snapshot of your role with Hush Blackwell? Sure. So Hush Blackwell is a full-service national law firm here in Wisconsin, as well as across the country in most states. We've got attorneys practicing. And it's a healthcare team that is one of the largest in the country, if not the largest in the country within our law firm. So we've got around 150, 200 attorneys who are practicing in the space of healthcare. And many of us are specialists in one or another area. Myself, I'm an employment attorney practicing a lot in healthcare with healthcare entities. And then we've got the full service of real estate attorneys and intellectual property attorneys, healthcare regulatory attorneys, corporate attorneys, and everything else that a healthcare entity would need. Fantastic. Thanks, Tom. All right, let's get into today's topic, employers using arbitration agreements with their employees. So now in healthcare and senior care, social services, an organization using arbitration agreements for consumers is decently common and well-known, I would say, as an option, as a risk mitigation tool against litigation on the service provision side of things. But I think something that's less talked about and not as prevalently used by organizations in the care industry, especially perhaps in our area of the country, more in the Midwest, is using arbitration agreements with employees. But over the past few years, I think we've been seeing more and more cases of employment practices claims brought by employees against their employers, whether that's class action cases, discrimination, wrongful termination. So the use of arbitration for employees, I think, is more in the forefront of the minds of organizational leadership as a potential means to minimize some of that risk. Would you say, Tom, that's a fair assessment or anything to add? I do. There is definitely a connection between the increase in employment-based lawsuits, mostly class action or collective action lawsuits based on wages, and the use of arbitration agreements in employment. And I think as the United States Supreme Court has pretty definitively said a number of times now over the last five or 10 years, that arbitration is the preference of Congress. And as a policy matter, arbitration agreements should be enforced. And there are lower level courts that fight against that. But for the most part, from the top down within the legal profession from our U.S. Supreme Court, courts have said you can use employment arbitration agreements if they're done right. Yeah, very interesting. So let's take a step back for a second. What is an arbitration agreement in terms of employment? What does that even mean? Sure. So 
oftentimes employees are at will employees. They might not have an, a written employment agreement, or if they have a written employment agreement, it might be something for just an at will employment relationship. If an employee does not have a separate employment agreement, they can still enter into a standalone arbitration agreement as a condition of employment. If they're already an employee and an employer is seeking to require that arbitration agreement, you'd have to give them something additional. It might be conditioned on them getting some type of training or a specific bonus or some other kind of monetary amount that an employer gives in exchange for getting an employee to sign off on an arbitration agreement. If an employee is at the executive level or otherwise has an employment agreement, an arbitration provision can be included in that employment agreement that just lays out the terms under which arbitration would be applicable. The language itself in an arbitration agreement or an arbitration clause is not difficult. You usually identify the scope of claims that would be covered by arbitration most, if not all, employment claims. There's an exception for things like non-compete agreements, non-solicitation agreements, confidentiality restrictions, or intellectual property disputes. Sometimes employers do want those to go through the court system because one of the things that a court can do that an arbitrator generally cannot is order an employee to do something. You can seek an injunction or a restraining order from a court you can't always or necessarily do that with an arbitrator. So if you want to enforce a non-compete agreement or a non-solicitation agreement, you want to have that ability to carve those claims out of an arbitration clause or agreement and allow those to go straight to court. But generally, you want to cover all employment claims. You generally want to identify the arbitration service that you're selecting. There's many commercial arbitration services that are out there, the American Arbitration Association. For healthcare specifically, the American Health Law Association has a strong arbitration function that's available with skilled arbitrators that are familiar with healthcare. And then you want to usually identify things like who is going to pay for the costs of arbitration, where is the arbitration going to be held. Those kinds of details are things that you can include in the overall agreement or the clause itself. Thanks, Tom. That's really helpful background. And I think that there being an association that is familiar with healthcare and the operations have a direct hand in the arbitration piece. I think that's super important for employers, especially in our space and the healthcare space, to recognize that it's not going to be some arbitrator who's not familiar with the business, which may be potentially in their favor. Right. So in terms of how prevalent this is, I saw a recent study by the Economic Policy Institute and it said that more than half, I think it was just under 55%, of private sector employees are subject to mandatory arbitration by their employer. But that number to me seems high, at least for the care industry within the geographical region that our team typically serves. What's your take on that? I think you're right. It, it, that is a little surprising to me that does seem high, but it, you were right at the beginning to identify the geographic location of where a lot of our clients are based matters. And I do think it's an upper Midwest, if not the entire Midwest approach to employment relationships that does not include arbitration for whatever reason that may be. But I do think it's becoming something that more Midwest employers, as well as I'm sure employers on the coast are starting to recognize as valuable. 
yeah, potentially that Midwest nice factor that we sometimes like to hang our hat on might be coming into play here, huh? Exactly. So it's not really a black and white answer in terms of whether or not an organization should use arbitration agreements with employees. It seems to be one of those topics that if you ask 10 different employment practices experts, you're probably going to get 10 different opinions on the matter. So let's dig into the pros and cons of using arbitration agreements with employees. So Tom, can you maybe walk us through some of the potential benefits of an organization using arbitration agreements for employees? Sure. So I think the first consideration with that question of should you or shouldn't you has to do with your relationship with your employees. It is a hard thing from a human resources perspective to go to a set of currently employed individuals and say, we now have this separate legal process that you'll need to use if you do have some dispute with us. And I think that's the biggest hurdle for employers who are seeking to impose these arbitration restrictions. That said, there are a lot of benefits there for companies. And I'd say the biggest benefit is the cost. In front of the Wisconsin legislature long ago, I testified that 99% of employment-based claims that I see and deal with are meritless. And that shocked a couple of people on this legislative committee, but that really is the case. And, and I'm not saying the employees don't believe that they've been discriminated against or harassed or that they've got some wage dispute that is wrong. But as a matter of objective law, I think 99% of these claims we see are just without merit. And the cost of defending those meritless claims is relatively significant. If you get a wage and hour claim as a long-term care facility or a hospital or health system, that is going to take a lot of resources. It takes a lot of time to investigate whether there's any merit there. It takes a lot of money for attorney's fees. And frankly, it's a lot of times easier to just settle those before you have to go through a full-fledged trial, which costs more. And the plaintiff's attorneys know that. And when they file these wage and hour claims, oftentimes they're going on fishing expeditions through the process, knowing that it's going to incur costs for the employer and knowing that we management side attorneys are going to have to and do advise our clients that this is a, this is an expensive process if you want to fight this. So the biggest advantage of using an arbitration agreement, frankly, is saving some cost. There is a heavily disputed belief that you can have an individual arbitration agreement that prevents class or collective action lawsuits. And that's helpful for an employer. It avoids the one employee who claims to be representing hundreds of employees, current and former, in some type of wage dispute. And instead of the opportunity to use that leverage of a class action in order to seek a settlement or try and pursue something through litigation, that employee is, with an arbitration restriction, directed to and should have to be forced to use the arbitration process. So the costs are the biggest advantage for the use of arbitration agreements. The part of the reason why the cost is lower with arbitration is the discovery process in arbitration is typically a lot less than it is in courts. There's usually a limited number of depositions, if any. There's a limited number of questions, interrogatories that plaintiffs and their counsel can ask in arbitration. 
the document requests might be more limited. And that's a value for employers because they're avoiding the cost that's associated with that discovery process. Is it fair to say too, Tom, that the point you made about this discovery process, that could potentially be a disadvantage for the employer, depending on the facts of the case? It could be. I still think it weighs more in favor of an advantage for employers. If you think about it, you're only going to need to take the deposition as an employer of the complainant or plaintiff, and maybe a handful, one or two other witnesses that might be adverse to you and not otherwise cooperating. But the employee or plaintiff can use a deposition or those questions to try and set up a bunch of different employer management level employees. So they might say, we want to depose every member of the board of directors. We know it's likely that the board of directors didn't have a whole lot of involvement in the actual decision to terminate or whatever the policy that might be at issue. But those are the kinds of things that plaintiffs see. They really are more in the dark and they would need to depose or talk to or ask questions about more things than an employer in a regular, I'd say most cases. Got it. I think it's interesting too, I stumbled upon another factoid that I think it was workers subject to mandatory arbitration bring 98% fewer claims under the FLSA compared to employees not subject to mandatory arbitration. So again, supporting your all the points that you just made. And I've never been on the side of a plaintiff's attorney, an employee side attorney who has an employee come in their office or make a phone call where they do realize that there is an arbitration agreement in play. But I do think that has an impact on whether that attorney moves forward with representing that employee or whether the employee themselves pursues the claim after hearing about the process that is arbitration. I think it goes too with the arbitration we see from the consumer side of things in terms of juries and how unpredictable they can be and potentially these nuclear jury verdicts. That's the same thing on the employment side too, right? As in terms of juries feeling like they're doing this employee a favor and going back to the big bad employer to maybe right or wrong in their eyes and provide this employee a potential award that's maybe more than what it's merited for. That's exactly right. You articulated that very well. The second greatest benefit of arbitration agreements is frankly just avoiding juries. And I've had wise colleagues in the past advise me and I advise others that you rarely want to be in front of a jury in an employment-based claim just because of all those reasons that you articulated. The big bad company putting the little man down. You also avoid excessive awards, like you mentioned, out of juries. Arbitrators generally, I'd say, are more objective. They are that third party, less emotional, recognizing the need to be fair to both sides that you don't always necessarily get with a jury. And to clarify, Tom, too, an employer can make an arbitration agreement mandatory for an employee to sign, correct? Correct. They can. And it would be conditioned on employment is the rub. And that's hard for some employees, especially current employees, if you come in and require the arbitration agreement or some kind of restriction as a condition of employment. But you can do that. And it's acceptable. It's not against public policy or it's not illegal to say to an employee who refuses to sign an arbitration restriction that they are no longer employed with the organization. Yeah. And to your point, in terms of probably the most significant drawback 
in terms of employee morale and how do you approach employees, particularly current employees. And I think for new employees in times of the significant workforce shortage that the care industry is facing, organizations may also hesitate from a competition perspective or maybe fear of turning a potential employee away or turning them off if they use mandatory arbitration, but the organization down the street does not. But I think it's important that employees are educated and understand the benefits to them as well, because it's beneficial for them too. And that an employer can present it appropriately and in a way to not initiate that ick feeling that an employee may get from that. Do you have any advice in terms of like how to present that to an employee? I think it's fair to do it as part of the one of the extra benefits that you give to an employee. If it's a holiday bonus or some other kind of monetary bonus or the annual increase that you might offer to employees that are well-deserved and well-earned, it's fair to couple that with a request and a requirement that the employee sign on to some type of arbitration restriction. And you can put a message together that puts the arbitration in the best light for the employee. It still offers them the opportunity to have a dispute, to have a dispute heard by a third-party objective person, and ultimately to get an award. And it's perfectly fine for an arbitrator to award things like back pay or front pay or wages that were earned that the arbitrator thinks weren't paid. So there's ways to message around the requirement for an arbitration agreement. The other thing to keep in mind for employers is, in theory, you could say, we're going to start using mandatory arbitration agreements with all new hires as of September 1st, 2023. And that's a little odd because obviously there'll be a set of, most of your employees would not have those mandatory restrictions, but perfectly fine if you were to say, we're going to start this policy, not require current employees to do it, but require it of new employees. Yeah, that's a really good point. So other than the morale factor, what are some other arguments against potentially using arbitration agreements for employees? Yeah, so there is risk that the cost is not a whole lot less. And there are two main ways that comes up. One is the ability for plaintiffs and their attorneys to still go to court and say, court, this arbitration agreement is not enforceable. It's against public policy for whatever one of the reasons or the arguments that are laid out. And that forces an employer to spend resources still in court. Even though you have an arbitration agreement, you've done it to avoid going into court, a plaintiff can still go to court and seek to have the arbitration agreement declared as unenforceable. Usually, those play out with respect to the signatures on the physical document. And I know employers out there are loving the onboarding electronic signatures and DocuSign and healthcare is prevalent, but I would encourage employers to have a literal wet signature from the employee and a wet signature from an employer for these arbitration agreements. That just avoids what are becoming more frequent claims that either I didn't sign this document, I didn't know what I was doing when I clicked that button, or Alternatively, there are often times when an employer does not countersign the document that goes through the electronic process, and then you've opened a door for an employee to make an argument that the document's not enforceable because there's no signature from the employer. But that's one space where costs can still happen. 
is if the plaintiffs try and go through the court system and you have to fight that off. The second place where costs do come up, and it's still less, but there's usually a fee associated with arbitration. And I'd say it ranges between $2,500 and $7,500 just for the cost of getting into arbitration. That goes to the service, the American Arbitration Association or American Health Law Association. But then there's also a cost usually for the arbitrator's time. And arbitrators are usually attorneys. They're highly skilled. So they do charge an hourly rate. That is fair. Sometimes it's a flat fee. It just depends on the individual arbitrator. But there can be costs associated with the arbitration itself that you wouldn't otherwise have um, in court and through the court system. But I'd say, although that is a risk and although that is a reason maybe not to use arbitration agreements, I think the value you save in costs outweighs the actual costs of the arbitration process. Got it. Great information, Tom. And can you speak to two? I know there is a carve out for special situations in terms of like sexual assault or sexual harassment. There's been some recent legal news on that. Yep. And it's important to remember individual states are often going after arbitration agreements. California, for example, they're hostile toward the use of arbitration agreements. Other states around the country also have individual state laws that say you can't use them for things like sexual harassment or any other kind of unlawful harassment based on a protected characteristic. They might have language in a law that requires the disclosure of arbitration rules in a more significant way. At the national level, there has been interest since the Me Too movement in preventing arbitration restrictions for sexual harassment in particular. And that is something that should usually be carved out in a arbitration provision. Ultimately, it's better not to force those kinds of claims through arbitration because that gives the plaintiff an opportunity to try and argue that the whole agreement, the entirety of the arbitration agreement is not enforceable. Yeah. So just in general, a lot to take in here and really consider before deciding whether or not to implement employment arbitration agreements. And I think as organizations, you need to carefully weigh the risks and benefits and consult with legal counsel to fully understand the implications. And if you do decide to move forward with employment arbitration, make sure that you're using an employment firm that is familiar and an expert in drafting those employment arbitration agreements, as I'm sure those will be scrutinized in the event that there is some legal concerns. Definitely need to evaluate if it is the right thing to do for your individual organization, not a one-size-fits-all situation. But Tom, any additional closing remarks? Other things to keep in mind is, to the extent that employers are out there considering this, keep in mind antitrust restrictions. You can't say to the other facility in your small community, let's both enter into these arbitration restrictions. That's problematic, and you don't want to do that. The other thing to keep in mind is with labor unions, this likely is something you want to, one, provide notice to the union, and two, for employees who are in a collective bargaining agreement who, with whom you're seeking these arbitration restrictions, that would be a term and condition of employment that you'd have to bargain through with your labor union. And then finally, just be thoughtful about the messaging. And if your organization does make the decision to move ahead with arbitration agreements or clauses, make sure that your leadership is invested in it. And if you do get that pushback from employees, you've got to have that support of management, leadership, boards of directors, so that they don't start second-guessing a decision that might have already been made. Because I think that's 
probably the worst place that a company can be in if you propose this, but then have to dial it back. Yep. Great points. Tom, I want to thank you for being here with us today. And for our listeners, we do have a corresponding article on employment arbitration that will be linked with the posting of this podcast. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Candid Care Podcast brought to you by M3. Connect with us at m3ins.com for access to more resources, insight, and to join the conversation. 